Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers at Gen Con Online 2020. Episode 265, The Cutting Edge RPG Design Panel. Hosted by Jason Walters of Indie Press Revolution. Presented by Pamela Punzalan, Wilson Zorn, and Maurice Poplar. All right, good morning, everyone. And welcome to IPR Presents Cutting Edge Game Design Panel. Uh, with us this morning uh, from Portland, Oregon is Wilson Zorn. Uh, from Pasadena, California is Mo Poplar. And from the Philippines is Pam Puzalan. I'm sorry, Pam, you're still in the Philippines at this point, right? Yes, I'm still in the Philippines. Okay. <laughs> um, so to start off with, uh, I'd like for everyone to talk a little bit about their work uh, and what they're doing at the moment and what they've done before. Uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Pam. Uh, hi, I am currently, well, I mostly release small games these days, but I have a few large projects under my belt. I Some people might recognize me from the House of Rookwood Kickstarter. I wrote a setting all about the Philippines there. I'm also, I also wrote a, an adventure for Spire uh, Shadow Operations under Grant Howitt. My own personal projects, though, are a PTBA game called Sundo, where you play psychopomps who do not realize that they were once mortal and that they must win back their power in order to regain their memories. I also have a game called Asian Acceptance, which takes dread and extends the system to simulate the feelings, the complicated feelings that come with being Asian in the closet uh, and not exactly out to anybody, but a small support system. I have a Blades in the Dark supplement for Dagger Isles. It will be Southeast Asian inspired in the works. And I also have several other large projects, some of them OSR inspired, some of them FID, uh, Forge of the Dark inspired, and some of them uh, Mishmash. So that's me. All right, thank you, Pam. Uh, Wilson, would you tell us a little about your work and what you're working on right now? Um, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, the past published thing that probably, if anybody knows me for anything, is most likely the one is at the hands of angry God. Um, and since you often mention it, Jason, I'll go ahead and and humble brag or not humble brag at all and brag. Uh, it's been any nominated for best rules, uh, which is very nice. Um, and and anyhow, uh, it's about people establishing utopia or what they think is utopia. And that's really up to the players. So how much do you look up for the principles of that lifestyle that you think you want to build versus how much do you compromise that for the be benefit of your own people, which is whatever your group is within that community uh, versus how much uh, do you um, um, look out for your place in the end in that community. So, uh, and, 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 and it's survival and your role in it. Um, <clears throat> and so that's been out for a little while. Um, super gratified, actually. I will make a comment on that. Uh, there's um, a Brazilian uh, RPG designer, uh, Rafael who's Vasquez, whose middle name I'm suddenly spacing. It's horrible because I realize in, in that culture, it's, I shouldn't do that. But uh, Rafael Vasquez, who's, I think, in a Sunday event talking about a game he's doing uh which somehow is is related and i've had some exchange with so i do want to mention it to him because I, I want to mention because i think it might be interesting to people and more generally um anyhow right now there's a game uh pending with with jason uh, uh breakdown uh to come out which is about highly stressed people with a lot of baggage uh including with each other and how they deal with uh, their intentions to do good 
versus the fact that life isn't that easy, simply put. And there's a couple different skins to it. Uh, not far away from uh, what I think is one of the most important games the last 10 years, I know we'll talk about it because I want to talk about it and you have it as a topic, which is Dream Askew, Dream Apart, which is an awesome game, by the way. Um, and um, similar to that, it has two different skins um, for its own, which you'll all see, I hope, soon enough. And um, one that's a little more of the Orwellian uh, near future or already here state, if you think that way. And, uh, but another which is more you're just a public servant trying to do your best in, in today's world. And of course, you can spend that as you like, as always. Uh, next in the pipeline is natural selection or tentative working title. I have no idea if that's clear, you know, the right wording. But anyhow, uh, you're one of the great species who are, uh, have manipulated humanity forever and are looking forward to the fruition of that for the survival of either the greater good of all, or maybe your own species, or perhaps to, uh, uh, your, to your own bond to another species or not. And uh, uh, I'll talk less about that because I feel like I should always talk about the one that's, you know, going to be out there. Uh, and uh, that's that's me and my work, I guess. Um, you know, there's always a million little things, but I'm, I'm just like a super slow designer. So like it's one thing every five years, really. So thanks. All right. Thank you, Wilson. Uh, Bo, you tell us a little about your work, current and past. Um, my name is Mo. Uh, thanks for having me, Jason. Um, just, uh, I just, um, Looking at print copies of my game uh, Shibuya Nights, which is a uh, 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 forged in the dark game about a kind of running uh, adventures the way you would do it, similar to Blades in the Dark, except you're doing it for favors, and it's it's a little less uh, murder, killy, whoring, raping, and a little more um, kind of anime fun and adventuring, um, and. Yeah, just a, a tone shift, uh, a setting shift, and uh, something that I could play with my little kid <laughs> without getting locked up. Um, I, 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 I love the Fortune and Dark system. I'm currently working on a uh, game called Arcade Busters, which is like a mix between um, Ghostbusters and Men in Black. I also have a, uh, a, a, a Descended from the Queen game, um, Bullet in a Blank, which is a great kind of almost party role-playing game where you play uh, desperados who've come to the end of a dusty trail and uh, you're going to work out your differences at the barrel of a gun and uh, you know have some macho therapy. Um, it, it's real light, it's real fun, but it's very tactile and really not for this particular moment. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting together with some people and playing more card-based RPGs soon. Uh, Mo, um, do you want to talk about a little bit about your background as a Masonic Street Irregular? You had a, a, a great deal of influence on the Champions universe and the playtesting of dozens of Champions and Hero System books. Yeah, I, I have a, a bad reputation as a, being a, D, a former D, a reformed D&D player, uh, a, a nostalgic champions gamer. And uh, I was in the room when it happened, when um, kind of uh, uh, what DOJ IPR purchased um, champions and um, just my, had a lot of love for the game and um, am really happy to see that, you know, it's gone on to its latest version. Um, I have a couple of characters in the video game and uh, you know, I, I 
I, I miss my calling as an accountant, you know, being an enthusiastic uh, hero system gamer. <laughs> you were uh, you were in the room when uh, I believe you and I had been gaming for a year when uh, Ben Trafford said to Darren Watts, if you'll stop complaining about the company, I will help you buy it. He who shall not so, be named. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's real history. It happens. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, so um, uh, starting with you, Mo, uh, have you seen any games lately that interest you? Anything you're finding really, really interesting going on in the world of, of cutting edge role playing game design? Um, I don't know if it's cutting edge. Uh, I feel like I, I have come back to the hobby about four years ago and PBTA was a huge thing. And uh, it took, definitely took me to get some time to get my head around it. And I really like how um, games are small, specific, and really narrative driven. Um, also, uh, I'm really intrigued by kind of a lot of the world development games that are happening, like uh, Microscope and Decima and um, Icarus, you know, where the, the game is getting together and developing a world. I think that's really interesting. Um, I've, I've definitely joined a lot of campaigns where uh, if you haven't read the volumes of material, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to lose a role-playing game. And like, Speaking of our youth together, yes. Right, well, yeah. And so um, I, I like these ideas of collaborative world building, collaborative, um, you know, just everybody bringing something to get to the table and kind of getting the game started. And, you know, card-based games are really interesting to me because, um, you know, my wife isn't interested in gaming at all, but she's intrigued by like the community building aspect of it. And, you know, just this idea that games can be lighter and still have structure, but also be open to people who aren't historically, traditionally part of the RPG community. That's just really something that um, I'm excited about. All right, thank you. Uh, Pam, what are you reading? What are you interested in? What what do you find uh, really uh, fascinating that's going on at the moment? Well, I have been, I'm one of those kids who came from a very varied background. I started in traditional gaming, D&D, then I went to World of Darkness, I did some L5R, et cetera, et cetera. But what I find the most interesting is less a particular game and more how there are so many spaces now and communities are a lot more open. I know that some people may think that this is a problem, but I don't think so. Now that there are more people empowered to make games, they bring in different perspectives. And this means a lot to me because I, I led a very interesting life. I started out as a teacher. I thought I was going to be an academic. I nearly have an MA in the bag. Then I went to real estate. Then I went to game design. And it's, it's just been a lot. And all of those perspectives are things that helped me get there. And that's just me. In particular, of course, uh, some people might recognize me as the girl who keeps shouting about RPGC, that is role-playing game Southeast Asia. A whole bunch of us just started going out there and posting all of these tiny things with very little, well, an almost playful irreverence towards the older ways of gaming. So people just threw their stuff out there, figured somebody must be listening. And also it was a very personal exercise on our parts of reclaiming things 
and seeing ourselves in spaces that we were normally not welcome into or could not actually come to to begin with due to many life constraints. Like I, I did say that I produce a lot of small games and who would have think who would have thought that my game about writing trashy romance novels would actually sell. But that is one of my top sellers where you come together, you have writing prompts and you just want to produce the trashiest romance novel ever in just 30 minutes to an hour. That would have been unheard of. Uh, most people would call them party games. Uh, so I really can't name a particular game. Admittedly, as a designer, I part of my design process is reading as much as possible. So I'm reading both new games and also very old ones that I never got around to. But the trend of spaces growing and spaces developing and us all developing the vocabulary to name new things, to interrogate old things, and also rebuild things is very important to me. Oh, thank you, Pam. Uh, Wilson, what are you looking at these days that you find interesting and motivating? Uh, since I mentioned it earlier, I'll just complete the thought on it. Uh, dream is you, dream apart. Um, what I really like about it, well, there's a lot of things to like about it. And I think it's, it's one of the rare kind of, to me, great games. Um, if you will. Um, on the other hand, every every game is a great game if it matters to you. So I mean, I don't I mean it like a grand pronouncement, but but I think that to be honest, that it, it starts with saying yeah, it's powered by the apocalypse, and I feel like that's almost so. It's a great acknowledgement, and I think the apocalypse has a lot of great things to it. But um, there's a lot of ways people have taken that that I think have are, have more limited maybe, and I'm not. There's nothing to do with anybody here. So I heard, I heard you all into those, and, I, and, and I, I think there's a lot of great stuff there. But I think that there's also, let's say, a narrative trap there, a bit of old school um, um, narrative, le narrative lead that happens. And, and a dream of skewed in part really breaks that completely up and really opens that to the group in, in the way that I think that is only hinted at earlier. And it's a, it's a great platform in its own right to write your own games. It's a great platform in its own right um, to explore character roles. Uh, and, uh, and, and especially in terms of its abandonment of chance or fortune, which, you know, I'm a big fan of. I love that. I love fortune. I love, you know, the fortune in the middle and all that. But the reality is that there's also a fantastic power, especially with, you know, in invested players of narrative fiat, and especially when you can pass that around. And, um, and Avery's done an amazing job with that in this game. It's, it's, it's a, an epochal work, um, in my opinion. Um, besides that, um, you know, I'm pretty, pretty slow in, in catching up to games, you know, and uh, um, the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll also speak to, I think, just because I don't feel like it's, even though I know it's got an acknowledgement, um, I'm really huge on it, and, and it does something very particular, oh, it does a few things that are fantastic, is um, Caroline Hobbs's work, um, uh, um, Fall, uh, shoot, um, suddenly the name went out of my head, uh, it's, um, um, Downfall, Downfall, um, which is an amazing game. And it's and, and what it does is it really breaks character roles into their most meta, you know, you've got, and and uh, forgive me, because I actually had the good fortune of playtesting it, which is rare, uh, as I just don't often have the time. And it, it breaks us into a protagonist, antagonist, and and uh, and a foil. And uh, I, it skins those a bit differently in the final work, but it, it really powerfully does what Ron Edwards talks about, which is another great work in Champions Now, of distinguishing between the special effects and the core mechanics and how you're manifesting in the game. And I think what's so important about that is actually a point on inclusiveness. And I think a lot of games accidentally stomp on inclusiveness and your ability to invest in the game by feeling like you're limited in your choices or limited in how you can, how your character or your being 
can be you in that game, even acknowledging that it's not you at that same time. So, um, uh, so yeah, those are some of the ones that, uh, frankly, I wouldn't have into my head, but you did obviously send us an agenda. So that was awesome. Um, so, um, uh, I have, uh, guys, I have a request from our moderator. Uh, she would like for you each to give out your Twitter handles so that people know them. Uh, if you would go ahead and start, Wilson. Yeah, uh, Zornwill, uh, Z-O-R-N-W-I-L. Um, hopefully that, that sounds right or makes sense. So Zorn is in my last name, W-I-L is in the first name. Uh, Pam? Uh, that's the Dovetailer, so capital T for the, then Dovetailer, D-O-V-E-T-A-I-L-O-R, so the Dovetailer on Twitter. And Mo. I keep it simple, Mo Poplar. Okay, um, thank you guys. Uh, moving on to our next question. Uh, now, you all kind of touched on this, but but feel free to uh, expand and explore a little more, starting with Mo, if you'd like. What trends in gaming interest you? So what, where, you know, what what's happening right now that's in its sort of infancy do you find interesting? Um, I'm not sure. I feel like uh, the thing that has interested me um, most in the gaming community is just uh, the welcoming <clears throat> nature that I found that I didn't see in the 80s and early 90s. Um, I think it's awesome that, uh, you know, I showed up, you know, at a con uh, three years ago and I was ready for a lot of, um, a lot of the, the in-crowdy, macho, um, stuff that I used to see. And I just saw this wonderful kind of variety of people. I saw this awesome embrace and empowerment of the LGBT community. I saw lots of people of color from all over the world. Um, speak gaming um, just kind of suddenly seemed like it was more than just this fancy full Western Europe thing. <laughs> um, not just on the table, but also in the room. And um, I just find that it is a much more, um, you know, I think community oriented and um, welcoming and supportive place than I remember it being. Um, you know, I was bored. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I could go for a good game and I found way more than I bargained for. Um, I also like how games are really leaning into mechanically um, kind of developing community spaces. Um, I am, I love rolling dice and, and, and killing, you know, the bad guys. Um, but, you know, just the idea that we can tell a story that may not involve any violence, that may um, send us all to some interesting emotional places. I think that's just really awesome. And frankly, I'm just trying to get my head around it because um, as, as a developer, you know, there are stories that I think could be interesting to tell. Thanks, Mo. Uh, Pam, do you have any thoughts on trends you'd like to share with us? To build on what Mo said, that it, it's a lot it means a lot to me in particular because 
I would not be on this panel were it not for hundreds of unnamed people deciding to fund my efforts to go to Big Bad Con last year. So the biggest trend that I'm seeing right now is actually a trend towards kindness, compassion, and uplifting people. I still sense that there is a lot of hurt. There are still a lot of people who need to interrogate their biases, who they are, why they're here, the meaning of a game, and the meaning of fun. But I, again, I cannot stress this enough. I would not be here were it not for all of those efforts. And I have made it my business to give back. Um, prior to this, I, I still do a lot of community work for gamers. Uh, I do run a organization called Play Without Apology. Um, I think a lot of people may know that the Philippines is conservative Catholic. It is not friendly towards women. It is not friendly towards the queer community at all. And the gaming spaces are extremely misogynistic and toxic. There's also a lot of patronage culture here that prevents many game designers from publishing their things. So to gain this overwhelming amount of support and to be told it's okay to ask and to go on a Discord server, go on Twitter and ask a question, tell your friends, hey, I need some help with some mechanics or hey, I've got this idea, can you help me out? And to be heard, not just once, not just twice, not just 10 times, but 20 times, 100 times, 1,000 times is amazing. It, it can get really weird, but also I kind of like the weirdness because that means that there is progress here. And frankly, I'm excited to see how it's going to be even next year or in the next five to 10 years because this will change things immensely. And hopefully more people like myself will be able to participate in more things like this. Thank you, Pam. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was very intense, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Wilson, would you like to, to pick up with this thread? Yeah, pardon if there's any echo, because I'm, I'm only writing the mute there. Um, yeah, I certainly can't, uh, you know, uh, let's say in a, you know, uh, say anything like what you said, Pam. That was awesome, and I and and I think that it uh, illustrates things we don't even always appreciate. You know, I, I I take a historical perspective, so a lot of times I'm maybe I feel like I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I can see the big sweep. But to hear you say it, uh, and and to reflect on it as well, and in my own life, um, you know, I've seen that as well, and I uh, I think that's just and it does have a consequence. It has consequence in our game designs. It really does. I mean, I think designs now, you know. Are at least think about these things way more than than before. Way more. I mean, you just not even think about them at all, right? You know, um, so I, it's it's just uh, it is a, a a real trend and something that's important, uh, actually important, maybe. Um, uh, yeah, I think one other thing I would just uh, mention is uh, kind of switching gears a bit, but just kind of my own the thing I always think about in these trends. So I don't know about trends per se either, uh, as you said, Mo. I'm you know I don't know stuff happens, and I think we don't know trends until. It, a decade later and go, oh, those were the trends then. Um, but, um, but, you know, one thing I think is, is happening, you see it a lot with RPGs, is, is this hybridization and with card games. Um, you know, I think even if you don't see the cards present, you see the theme present. You know, you, you could be drawing a card. That's what's really happening. And, and, and I, I, you know, definitely think that's a real thing. And not only in that realm, but like, for example, the next game I'm working on was inspired by me taking the time, which I rarely do, but I do make sure I try to try to do, I'm playing a board game. And it was just a, uh, 
really interesting Star Trek uh, based game. Sadly, I don't quite remember the name of it. Somebody probably does, and maybe somebody can throw it in YouTube chat land. Uh, but but it's it was neat because you explored that that world through the different uh, great alien races, and so you could be the Ferengi or the Klingon or whatever. And the interesting aspect of that, even though it was a board game and not something I'm probably going to play again, not because of anything with that, just my own time and what I'm interested in. Um, is two things. It really taught mechanics through play of playing your your character naturally or your your race naturally, uh, whatever you call that entity, your civilization naturally. Mm -hmm. And it also uh, it also um, uh, it, it really I realized how much you could abstract things you were doing and which influenced what I ended up doing natural selection. Um, but also last but not least on that kind of a weird plug I'd make is you know in terms of looking in places and I think about thinking about how things come together is there's a game show, a TV game show uh, called Divided, which um, in which players have to both cooperate and compete uh, to, to make money at the end. So you have to start out with four players, they're gonna vote one off midway through, but they're answering questions all the way through and the time ticks down, the dollars tick down. And it's a really interesting dynamic, partly because at least in the person posting it the first two seasons is a lot like a, a facilitator in a game. He's, under, he's pointing out, well, this is what you had thought and interesting how that worked out, isn't it? And this is what you, you're saying, well, oh, stop saying, okay, you're good there. And it's an interesting inspiration just in, in first of all, I like sociology, it's part of what I went to school for, but it's also an interesting inspiration in how people in, interoperate in that kind of a setting because it's truly a pressure cooker of time and different personalities come in every game and how that, how that happens. Um, so, I, you know, that's to me, I think those kinds of things we're starting to, and I think that's not just in games, I think across all the different sort of fiction realms and, and, and even academic realms, you know, we're starting to look and realize that we have to tap into different veins. So. Thank you, Wilson. Uh, we've got some comments and questions coming in, guys. Um, uh, Dave Mattingly wants you to know, Wilson, that uh, he's happy to see you. Um, Great to hear his name. Great to hear you're there, Dave. Uh, John Tabor would like for both you and Maurice to know that he's happy to see you. Good to see you. Um, we have a question from Aaron Sturgill, uh, Wilson, et cetera, all, could you say more about how belonging outside belonging democratizes play, especially in comparison with powered by the apocalypse? Maybe Wilson, you could lead off with that. Yeah, but can you repeat that question again, just precisely? Because I feel like I should really listen to it. Super. Sorry. Uh, Aaron Sturgill says, uh, Wilson, et cetera, all, could you say more about how belonging outside belonging democratizes play, especially in comparison with Powered by the Apocalypse? Um, yeah, that's a good, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, um, and in part, I'm, I'm impaired a little bit because I haven't, even though I've read belonging and in, in the terminology, I'm sure I'm going to be slightly off maybe. But, but anyhow, maybe to react as best I can, since we're throwing away first, but I'd love to hear, you know, especially hear most of Pam's thoughts, really. Because um, I, I, although I've done a lot of apocalypse-based play, apocalypse play, I bet you all have done even more. Um, but um, I, I think that... Um, I think it's interesting to me, it's a fine line. And, and I think that it, at its best and which I think Avery Alders game does in a Powered by the Apocalypse game is it, it draws the lines well so that you start to appreciate where, not that you always know where you are, but that you, you have an engagement that, that is, is centric to that. Like, okay, I belong in this and I'm, 
or I'm outside of that and I'm, I'm coming into it. And, uh, and my agency is actually directly related to that and how I engage my agency. Um, honestly, though, I, I think that if you take uh, Apocalypse World and you just kind of bluntly apply it, uh, you're, you, you're in danger of doing the worst case of that um, because I, want, I don't want to take away from the game itself. The Apocalypse World is a brilliantly designed game that works absolutely fantastically itself. Um, and it's designed for one thing, which is this a post-apocalypse setting where nothing is constant and nothing can be taken for granted. Absolutely nothing ever. And as long as you're doing that, great. It's completely a whole cloth, I suppose. But, um, but you know, there's when you start to deviate from that um, and you're not careful about that, I think what's well, why I think the question is so great and I think it just deserves its own thought is that, uh, that by, its, by, its, by its nature, there's a lot of uh, fiat in what happens in apocalypse world base. And, and I think I'll shut up there because I think Paul and Matt, uh, Mo and Pam have a million great things to say. Uh, okay, Pam, would you, would you like to comment? I think that belonging outside belonging democratizes games on two levels, its design and the fact that it is easy to design for. So when you have it in your hands, you can come up with a million different possibilities and the the streamlined mechanics behind it also uh, also encourages literally any decision. It puts the power of creating the narrative, of creating the space, of creating each other in everyone's hands. So it is an impressive look at how you can bring a table together and give them the tools. And when you place it in the hands of another designer, it can sing, especially if that designer is very familiar with nuance and very deliberate with their wording, which is absolutely fascinating. I could geek out forever on it because of my, my literary background. Background, I keep freaking out when I see a good game uh, on, on belonging outside belonging stuff. And I think that when I said that it can democratize games two ways, because it's easy to design for, now you have, again, hundreds and potentially thousands of designers all coming from different perspectives all with a different idea of community, all with a different idea of agency, of decisions, of gender, of race, of everything. And each one of them brings that into their work. So they continuously extend a new narrative. Uh, that said, I also believe that Powered by the Apocalypse has, has some fantastic design work in it. I think, to be honest, both games can be, and I'll be blunt, can be designed badly. Uh, that is a thing that happens with literally all games. So I prefer not to compare the two. I really think that it is a matter of what are you looking for? What kind of story are you trying to tell? Uh, what kind of mechanics do you want to use? And from there, you can decide you can mix and match it or you can go pure. So that's my take on it. Thank you, Pam. Uh, Mo, do you have any thoughts? Um, <clears throat> Is belonging outside belonging a game or just the concept thereof? Belonging outside belonging is a uh, powered by the apocalypse uh, variant Got it. that uh, was designed by Avery Alder, who did The Quiet Year and Monster Hearts and other games to numerous dimension that does not have, um, it doesn't have any dice. It's all based on kind of investment with tokens. Uh, and there's, there's, um, it's laid out uh, in a book called Dream Askew, Dream Apart, mm -hmm. which has a uh, Dream Askew is a post-apocalyptic queer setting. And uh, Dream Apart 
puts you in a sort of uh, kind of magical alternate reality version of sort of um, pre uh, uh, pre Holocaust czarist uh, Zar, area of uh, kind of Jewish Poland. Got it. But, I'm, um, I'm sorry, and I hate to I hate to interrupt, but I obviously I don't hate it so much. I'm not doing it, but I. I just think Mo, your question is spot on because I think there's a game, but there's also a concept there, and and I'm not. Right. I myself am still like looking at that and and trying to absorb it completely, to be honest. Um, I'm not familiar with the game. Um, I love the idea that uh, what PBTA brings um, allows people to belong in the game. Um, I, I've long said some of the most brilliant people I've ever met were D&D gamers who understood how to build a medieval castle in the 21st century because they have gotten so far into it. And what I see with PBTA in general is just the ability to show up, um, I think often in a modern setting, which means anything is possible and nobody owns um, what the narrative can be. And, you know, just the world developing questions. Um, I think when you show up and you can just add something to the world, um, it, it democratizes the game in a way that the GM doesn't um, own everything. Um, if you're a new player, you're bringing something new. And um, not being familiar with that game, I think that really opens the door to let people feel a certain ownership in the in the world, and um, I mean, if you wanted to play in a system that has like several tomes of policies, I mean, you could go to work and just earn money. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I, I I really think there are some inherent mechanics in PBTA that just make them a lot more welcoming to the to to the new person to gaming, and you know. It just makes people feel a little more welcome and engaged. Um, the, I think the downside to that generally is um, sometimes these things can be a little one-shotty because it's like, oh, we made up all this stuff last week. <laughs> Do you guys remember the stuff we made up? Uh, it was something, something, something hand wavy about that. Um, I'm not sure if these mechanics um, are um, cons and belonging outside belonging, but in PBTA, that tends to be the biggest challenge I have. Um, you know, if you wanted to run a campaign in Monster Hearts, if you wanted to run a campaign in Monster of the Week, um, it, it, it leaning forward into the fun can, can take away from the story. Uh, Mo, our, our next question uh, is from Jason Pitt, and I think it's something you've given some considerable thought to. So let's let's lead off with you. Um, what are your thoughts about the new trend of gaming using visual elements and game designs, such as found in For the Queen, Companion's Tale, or Fall of Magic? I know you've given uh, For the Queen a great deal of thought. And, and Fall of Magic. Uh, I hang out with a game development crew. Uh, a couple of people love Fall of Magic. Um, I think it it's just another way to get get the fun going. Um, I think it's another way to get people who aren't necessarily um, part of the gaming community 
um, to give them access in. Um, a picture's worth a thousand words. If you could show someone a picture and say, um, let's choose our queen, um, suddenly you're creating an environment where um, I'm coming to the table and it's not what I don't know, I can now have investment in what this game's gonna be. And I feel like role-playing was never really meant to be about winners and losers, but I think um, adding graphical elements to the game that may or may not have mechanical value, but definitely have emotional buy-in are, are super critical to um, people doing something worth doing more and more. I mean, I can, why should I watch TV when I can engage with a YouTuber on what their next content's gonna be? Like, I don't think we are as sit back, relax and um, suck it all in a, a culture around the world as we used to be. And, you know, some people don't watch YouTube. They just hang out online, you know, where they can create narratives themselves. And I think, um, kind of leaning into a graphical, card-based, tactile um, mechanic just really kind of updates things in a way that, um, again, knowing the specifics of a halberd or a broadsword, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. All right. Thank you, Mo. Uh, guys, we're getting so many questions now that I'm going to start to field them to you one at a time. Um, uh, Pam, uh, from Julian K. Jarboe, uh, do you think there are potential risks in a very open-ended in very open-ended games of not providing enough structure to help players? Uh, how how might it be empowering for the players to let them do less, if that makes any sense? Sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah. From Julian K. Jarboe, for anyone, and let's if you could feel this one, Pam, do you think there are potential risks in very open-ended games uh, of not providing enough structure to help the players? How might it be empowering for people to, uh, and, he, and, and Julian does say let, with quotes, let them do less. So I think Julian's expressing some concerns about just how open-ended storytelling games are getting, and does perhaps more structure better? So a philosophical question. Well, philosophically, uh, least my personal bias on that is there really are some players that are into extremely open-ended storytelling. So that is a thing. I know of a lot of people who want to go on forever and ever with their campaign, and that's fine. But I do understand that it can be very, very intimidating, especially I did see some discourse on Twitter recently where people were opening up about how they find it difficult when a designer simply writes, okay, you did the move, make a scene. And there's just no guidance. So I think that the onus falls upon maybe three. Uh, and okay, I'm, I'm talking in terms of a big publication because when it comes to smaller games, we have to understand that many of these, these designers are on their own. So they have no editor. They're just churning it out. They're doing their thing. But if we're talking in terms of ideals, then that falls upon three people. The designer, their editor, and their consultant. Because sensitivity consultancy is a thing. You may be able to get somebody to give you input and say, this may come off wrong. This does not come off clear. 
this may be inherently harmful in terms of even the simple level of play. So you can put in structure for that or you can give limits, but it really falls upon how you design your game. At least that's where I come from. Thank you, Pam. Thank you. Uh, Wilson uh, from... Okay, this is, sorry, this handle is difficult. Uh, Scarecrow Abel. Scarecrow Abel Wilson. Um, as a, uh, they have a question. Um, I'm looking to adapt some anime that I love to a tabletop role-playing game setting. Any ideas or recommendations, especially for a group focused on D20 versus uh, a group focused on WW? I'm not sure what WW means. Maybe you, maybe you know Wilson, but I think somebody's looking. White Wolf. White Wolf? Yeah. Okay. White Wolf. Sorry. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, on, well, for D twenty or White Wolf, uh, sadly, no. Um, that said, um, I have no. Well, it, it probably, if the group is open minded, I, I. So first of all, I have very little experience in anime. So if somebody else does, please answer and I'll just, the only thing I can say, oh yeah, I'll kick it off. To you. The, only, the only thing I'll say is the anime plug I always make because I'm not big in anime, but I always thought it was such a fun game is made. But your game, your group has to be like really open-minded and like really interested in playing around, which doesn't, may not map well to that. So Pam, please on that one. Well, first off as the very big Japanese anime fangirl, what anime do you mean? That is one thing because anime, if you take it by its definition, is an animation style. It is not, it, and even their aesthetics wildly vary. So perhaps if the question is anime inspired, are you talking about particular themes? For example, are you going to go for shonen, which is the boys anime? Are you going to do something like Full Metal Alchemist? Are you going to do something like My Hero Academia? Or, or do you want to go Sailor Moon? Or do you want to go Cardcaptor Sakura? They are all different. So if it's anime inspired, the first question you should be asking is, what do you mean? And <laughs> where will your limits be? And um, I would like to caution people, especially, and this is coming from the Filipino girl in the room, um, those anime themes and aesthetics do have a, a cultural context to them. And at the end of the day, anime is written for a Japanese audience and we happen to be on the outside looking in. So I would strongly advise having some sensitivity consultancy in there and trying to figure out what kind of story you really want to tell. Uh, there are a lot of narratives out there. They don't necessarily have to be from Japanese anime, but if you have one particular thing that inspired you, go for it, just be careful. Thank you, Pam. Thank you very much. Um, Maurice uh, from Kyle Elzey. What are some of the best examples of original game mechanics that match perfectly with a theme or setting? Um, so I, I, I feel like this might be a good question for me because I've gotten into a couple of different game systems. Um, I really like how um, uh, in the uh, stress works in the new alien game that I've played a couple times. Um, I really haven't had a lot of time to think about it, but just as a player, it is really creates an intense environment. Um, I love how dice pools work in uh, Forged in the Dark, Blaze in the Dark games. Um, just there's a level of um, uh, what well, dice pools and um, Devil's Bargain where you're going to accept a consequence to 
um, have a greater opportunity, but it's still kind of um, all or nothing. Um, I, I absolutely love the complicated success mechanic, which gives you what you want, but you know allows the 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 the, the GM to kind of narrate um, consequences in a way that isn't just yay you win. Um, I think there's a, a lot of great mechanics out there. I have really gotten into Blades in the Dark. I mean, Forged in the Dark and PBTA and um, a couple of other games. Uh, I think some of my fellow panelists might have a broader um, experience with this. Uh, Pam, do you have any thoughts on this question? Well, I, if Blades in the Dark was definitely one of the things that was top of mind for me. Um, everything that Mo said about the consequences and the devil's bargain is just chef's kiss for me. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was a game that I read recently, Iron Sworn. I think it was released in 2018. That is a fascinating game because it is a toolkit. And the entire thing is about uh, you are warriors who swore iron vows. And everything in the game, from the categorization of the moves to the questions that they ask you, to the lies and truths that they present, to how they determine their randomness, is all about you being those warriors in fragmented communities, going out there, fulfilling your vows or failing to do so. And I think it might be interesting in particular for Mo and Wilson, if the two of you are, are not familiar with it, because it takes PTBA and it categorizes all of the movesets and each move becomes a mini subsystem that is just mm. fascinating to read. And it is completely free. So again, it democratizes design. You can take it, you can build on it, you can do your credits and everything. It's, it's just... I could fangirl forever on it. Uh, another game that I really liked, uh, and it's cool that uh, Mo mentioned Alien, uh, Mothership. Mothership is a great game for stressing yourselves out because it is all about space horror and everything from the roll under system where you have to fight against percentages to the way that damage is done, to the way that you take stress conditions, to the way that you gain XP is just... It, it makes for a harrowing and wonderful experience as a gamer. So I think those are the two top of mind for me. You're muted, Jason. Jason. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Thank you, Pam. Um, Wilson, do you have any thoughts on um, examples of game mechanics that match perfectly with theme and setting? And also, I have another question I want to run past you from Justin Ford. Uh, could our designers talk about the unique joy of designing Powered by the Apocalypse style moves? Uh, Wilson, could you take that away? Okay, well, I'll start with the first one you said and then come to the other one and then probably dish it fairly quickly from there. Um, I've done some 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 Powered uh, by the Apocalypse, but it's more hot, more home fun than, than published. So, so anyhow, um, to the first question, yeah, I mean, one of my uh, favorites, and and it's very much echoed in in the game I talked about earlier that that uh, the rock that um, uh, that Jason's company will be doing is um, is uh, is um, uh, the don't rest your head, which in which there's this um, dynamic of 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 the exhaustion state you're in as well as this sort of madness state, that sort of dreamy dreaminess and the, the ability you have to manifest yourself in a dream world, and without going into too much detail. Um, 
just in brief, you know, because I, I, I think time-wise it just makes sense to say, you know, I think if you look at that and how it works in that world and how it works in the setting and how it works and what the game's trying to do is just a beautiful example. Um, and, and one of the things I really like about it is that whole notion of tapping into something and the escalating sense of, you know, you get more and more power, but you also become more and more so embedded so deeply into it that you're really losing yourself and who you are. And it's not that you're no longer who you are. You're just this very distinct, very... Uh, too purified version, you might say. And I think it's just an amazing thing. Uh, Ken Haidt, I think, called it something like the best uh, Cthulhu death spiral kind of thing you can you can experience, even though the game wasn't built for that specifically. Um, so I, I think that's a great example. Dogs in the Vineyard, I would say, is a master class. Just read it cover to cover, and you know every mechanic is just beautiful. Nothing's there that doesn't need to be. Everything's there it needs to be. Um, so that's that on that. On um, Powered by the Apocalypse. Sorry, can you, can you repeat the precise question on on the inspiration and joy part? Because I just don't. I do want to answer it properly. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely, Wilson. Uh, could our designers talk about the unique joy of designing Powered by the Apocalypse style moves? Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I, I actually do have a little bit to say on it. Actually, um, and and I do want to dish it fairly quickly then, because um, I think you you both done so much more. Um, but one of the things I I really um, liked about it, and it's interesting to hear Pam what you talked about, because it, it taps into it, is you know there's this underlying mechanics of how those moves work. And so I did this game which was based on a comic book called Disavowed, which I doubt many people know, but it's basically these supernatural or metaphysical agents of the government who are you know second third hand and they can they're they're dis they can be disavowed any moment they're they're nobodies and um and i married that to a hellboy world you know because that obviously fit and put it in the 1950s because why not and and one of the really fun things was taking those moves and figuring out you know the the there's a richness to the to the way powered by Huckles does it which frankly i'm not even as deep in as i'm sure you both are so I, that's why i don't want to go too much further but the fun thing, well, I, I, one of the most fun things I think was that with the agency the players had, this is the strangest aspect, but the power of moves and the ability they had with agency to do things was even though I brought no sex moves over because my group was very traditional and they weren't gonna do sex moves, wasn't gonna happen. Strangely enough, because of the weirdness aspect of the game and the otherworldliness aspect, these human or half human characters suddenly had the, uh, two out of the three had these sexual vibrant relationships with alien entities, literally. Um, so, um, and a lot of that came through the fact that they could manifest what they were doing because those moves are tuned towards, um, you know, what happens with compromise, what happens with superiority, what happens when I fail and framing that in very particular. And what I did was I didn't have it by character roles. I just did it by, here's a catalog of moves. And here's the moves that just any human could do. And here's the really weird ass stuff. And you get you can get two of these and one of those, or just take two of those and nothing else, or something like that. I remember this years ago. So uh, so it was a lot of fun. And the inspiration was really, you know, the fact those moves force interplays of where your agency is. Um, but again, Pam and I bet have way interesting things to say as well. Uh, yeah, Pam, uh, if you'd like to riff off that, uh, the joy of designing style moves. Where do I begin? Um, as a designer, you have to marry, or at least the, it's interesting how you marry the different scenarios by which your players can go to and what kind of message you want to you want to communicate and how do you want them to take failure because the idea is to fail forward and that the, the failure must be interesting because traditional games traditionally are you fail, you dead. 
that or you fail, it hurts. But Powered by the Apocalypse, when it is designed, I guess, well or ideally, the failure is supposed to bring in new elements and new complications and new entanglements. And moves can also be a great excuse to just go ham on the flavor. Uh, when I mentioned Sundo earlier, you are playing Psycho Pomps and you actually have a Memento Mori, which is your weapon. And I literally made a move where, like with most anime, you can bring out a fancy sword and fight angels with it and that is the entire move you manifesting that weapon and manifesting your will and the thoughts that run through your head when that happens and the memories that may come to you that you have no name for and um, there is a game that I'm working on with my partner called Nabithem's End and it is about the choices and consequences of heroes that came 600 years before prevented an apocalypse but there were consequences upon the world now and you are picking that up and one of the moves that we created is called make the hero's choice where you decide uh, what would your hero do? What did the Core 7 think of when they were in this moment? Is there anything in the past that can give us something in the present? So I could just, again, go on forever about how fun it is to just kind of go, what am I telling here? What story do I want my players to, to tell? And how can I open myself as a designer to letting them tell their stories without me interfering? So. Thank you, Pam. Uh, Mo, the joy of Powered by the Apocalypse moves. I may blaspheme here. Um, <laughs> I love what Powered by the Apocalypse does with its moves and the resulting actions that can happen. I love how they have uh, consequences that come directly out of it. Just as an elegance factor, if I show up at the table needing character sheets and move sheets for every player, um, I have definitely been thinking about trying to move away from that and maybe have flavored moves that tell you what they do on the character sheet um, in a game that is specific enough that it does a thing. You know, It may not be the game that you use to go climb mountains with, but it is the game you use to fight dragons with. <laughs> so um, I, I really like um, PBTA moves. I have um, made some myself and like, it's a really intense exercise. Uh, and I think it really reaps rewards on the game table as far as flavor. But I gotta say like Blades in the Dark lets you do a couple things. And like, this is what you do in this game. You know, you're either going to sneak or you're going to, uh, I think one of the original moves was murder somebody. <laughs> and it's like, that's what you do in this game. And it just has this level of elegance that uh, I, I feel like it, it's, it's interesting to write a game book and then realize um, you rarely see game books at the table for games that are written well, you know? Um, so that that's my designer thought on PBTA moves. Uh, Mo, ro rolling on with that, another question from the Bay Area Zone, John Tabor. Uh, what is an what is an example of a well-designed, powered by the apocalypse game, and why? Well, you just wrote one, so maybe you'd like to comment on that. <laughs> um, well, my 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 game is uh, Forged in the Dark, I, which feels very PBTA. Um, I think the, the biggest elements are just leaning into a particular kind of fiction 
and giving people a very clear sense of like, what are we here to do? Um, I hope everybody knows about Shibuya Night soon, but um, mo a lot of people played Monster of the Week and Monster of the Week is a thing, you know? You show up, what are we gonna do? We're gonna go get the Monster of the Week. It has a, it has a, a very great name. Um, the classes are set up so that you can go out and you can um, play several um, TV shows. You could play Buffy, you could play X-Files, um, you could play Men in Black, and it just really leans into this point of fiction. Um, I think where PBTA works better for me is when you have elements where uh, character progression help you get to the next level, uh, that encourage you to want to play that character again and really give you a sense of ownership. I played some PBTA games that, um, you know, you, you you drive characters like you stole them. And uh, there's definitely a sense of, uh, well, this doesn't matter because I'm not playing this character again. And for me, I think character progression and the promise of what's ahead uh, really helps to make a PBTA forged in a dark game, something that um, like, like has you coming back. Um, in a lot of Forged in the Dark games, it's the ship or the, the gang or um, the army that really kind of have you coming back saying, but I want to nurture and develop this thing. So those, those, those are my thoughts. I think, you know, PBTA is a great game to, you know, pick up and have a good time tonight too. So. Thanks, Mo. Uh, guys, anybody object to running a little late? We have some really excellent questions still coming in. I'm okay. I'm happy to go. Um, okay. Then I have a great question for all of you. Uh, we'll start with Pam uh, from Rachel Ting. Um, question for all the panelists. What would you say is something that you always strive to include in all of the games you design? Any themes or principles? For me, hi, Rachel. <laughs> that's, a, that's my IRL friend. Um, for me, safety and consent, that is a line that people should never cross uh, with me. If I see a game that does not even have a paragraph about the importance of consent and agency for your players, I, I tend to take a step back before I read through it because um, I'm... I'm a woman, I'm queer, and uh, I'm not welcome in many spaces. So in my design, you must have safety and consent tools, or you must acknowledge that your players, your GM also are people, and that uh, you need to be wary of how this simulated experience can bleed into your real life and vice versa. There are lines there that should not be crossed. There are things that should be obfuscated and it is absolutely okay because fun is different for everyone and fun can be political. And that is also my second point, the recognition that fun is political. We can, we've moved well past the point where we can say it's just a game. For some of us, it is not just a game. Um, and there are certain themes and certain stories that are not actually for some people to tell. And I like emphasizing that a lot in my own design, where this is my story, this is me reclaiming something, and this is something that matters to me in my own. And if you cannot respect me as a person in real life, or my me and my wonderful partner, who's in the background, uh, that that's a that's a line that I will not allow to be crossed for me. So it's 
the recognition that fun is political and safety and consent tools. Um, and I will walk away from people who, who don't respect that. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Pam. Wilson, do you want to elaborate on this? Yeah, I, I certainly don't don't believe I've taken the intensity and, and the proper intensity that, that Pam and some others have taken in that same regard that you just talked about. But it is something I do think about in every game that I that I, you know, seriously putting out there. You know, and so I, I, I echo it a bit and, and I won't say too much more other than, you know, I think I can always do more, but that that's that's a, that's something to always bow towards is the social responsibility the group has to each other. Um, I, you know, I, I tend to put it more that way, I guess I'd say, but you know, that you really have to respect each other. Um, I don't, I try to make that brief because then somehow it's a fundamental human thing you hope people would do, but at the same time, I think it needs to be said somehow. Um, beyond that, um, you know, so design elements in every game, you know, I think that's a bit of a tough question because I, I try to, you know, look at games as the, what they are in individual context, but I do think obviously, obviously being clear on agency, being clear on, um, examples. I think that's a huge thing. And, and Pam, you, you raised a really great point. You know, when you, when people are doing a small game or an eight page game or something, obviously that's a trade-off that just has to be there. And there's so, so many brilliant games and people like Jackson Tegu and others who have done these awesome games. Um, and, um, and uh, that, that, you know, they're so brief that you can't really have everything there that you might want, you know. But, but for a full published game, I think, you know, examples are key, not just because they help explain, but because they also get a bit of permission. Um, you know, what, what can I do with this? Is what's okay to do with this? What, what is it? And not just okay in the sense you should or shouldn't, but where's the shine? You know, what, what's the purpose of me playing this? And that's the other point. Um, I think somewhere you need to tell people what the purpose of, of playing is, you know, however you do that. Um, whether you do that very explicitly or you do it by embedding in, in those moments and mechanics examples exactly what you're getting at, you know, however you do it, I, to me, that's a fundamental. Uh, finally, um, having thought about it from maybe a different angle, but to answer the question most fully, uh, I personally, I thought about, you know, why do I make the games I make that I care about, the ones I really spend time on? And uh, so far in my life, it's been apparently um, a search for why people who believe they're good do bad things. And I think that's a theme running in my games that is just there, uh, both from my own life and, uh, and it is amusing that I care about. So for me, that's somehow in there, even though it's not like I set out in each of those games to do it, but it's certainly an implicit bias that is, is right there begging, begging, I think, everybody to participate in that question, um, which isn't always comfortable, although I do try to make them a bit general, which is, I guess, the last point. I try to be a little bit like Pam says, not every game's for everyone. And I think you have to qualify up front. Is this for you or not? But once you pass that, hey, you know, it's kind of a broad you there. So it's my thoughts on it. Thank you, Wilson. No, uh, Ron Edwards once told me that he thought the very best kind of villain was somebody that would be a hero, except that they'd gone way too far. So I hear what you're saying. Um, Mo, um, would you like to... Um, comment on this, but also I have another question uh, for you following up from Kyle Elzee. Um, content or gameplay wise, what do you feel is missing or yet to be explored in RPG design? Mm. Um, I just want to, yes, and everything Pam and Wilson said, um, I absolutely think um, guardrails are, I call them guardrails. Uh, I, I, I 
have this cynical sense that people are going to buy your game and they may read your game and they're going to play your game and you you can hope for the best once once your art's in the world you know i think that's the best we can do um i think the x card is a great like just reminder for everybody that like look don't be a butthead like you know I don't know the D&D comes with an X card. So there, there's like almost two different kinds of games, you know, there's like these new games where I'm supposed to, oh yeah, be nice to people too. And um, <laughs> there's the other games where um, we can do it the old way. And uh, like, I, I, I don't know, I don't wanna rag on D&D. Like, it's really fun. It's a great system. I love the depth of lore, um, but the old way it used to happen was was a particular thing. Um, one more time with your question, Jason. Yeah, no problem, Mo. It's, um, do you have, oh, wait a minute, sorry. There's been a lot of questions. Content or gameplay wise, what do you feel is missing or yet to be explored in RPG game design? Um, this is interesting for me because uh, one of the things that I'm working on is um, a game where uh, you can have fun um, in a Cthulhu-ish kind of way playing um, as a African-American. And I think uh, a lot's been done in this space. Uh, Harlem Unbound, I thought, was a really interesting approach to this. Um, and... I think just really allowing people to A, be welcome to show up and express themselves outside of their own personhood. Um, I think if you decide you're gonna play a thief, um, you're still kind of being yourself, um, but approaching like a different almost VR self um, in a way that is accessible, that has enough scaffolding so that people aren't afraid they're gonna do it wrong, that still engages the levels of fun so that um, this isn't just a after-school special classroom thing, but at the same time allows you to be immersively engaged in seeing life from a different perspective, I think just has some really powerful impact. And it, it seems like there's a lot of that in RPGs already, you know? Um, I can be a zombie hunter and I can pretend that I'm desperate enough to, to hunt zombies. Um, but some people have a hard time being, you know, a transsexual one. You know, they, they, they draw the line and say, I don't know anything about that, so I'm not going to do it. And um, I'm just interested in kind of the role play experience that allows you to get even deeper and still have fun. Thanks, Mo. Uh, I think I think we'll go to a last question, if that's okay with all you guys, because I know Mo, you you you've got places to go and things to do, correct? Okay. Stuff to fix. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's let's put this one out to Pam. Um, do you, this is from John Irwin. Uh, do you have any design work that you've invested time on but didn't release? Uh, what turned you? into this decision. I think John meant, what made you make this decision? Hi, Erwin. That's also a friend of mine. <laughs> Hi, guys. 
It's great to see I'm supported here. Love you. Uh, what design work have I not released yet? Um, I've mentioned this on Twitter. It is a work called Waking the Dead. I am agonizing over every step of it because it has gone through five different iterations since it was once a campaign under World of Darkness in 2012. So technically speaking, this game has been in development for eight years. Now, um, it, I was actually going to make it a Forged in the Dark game, a pure Forged game. Then I changed my mind. Uh, I got a little lost, and I also decided to go and make an, a new system. Now, I, I say that with a caveat. I don't actually believe that anything in game design is new. It is simply things that we have not seen ourselves, and it is other things that have not been articulated well enough for most of a, the majority of the audience to understand that this is a tabletop game. So I am currently stuck with its development mostly because of pandemic stuff. It takes a lot of um, time to put together a large game. And I guess that would really be the only project I have where I I have it, it's in my head, but I am feeling at present a gap in my skills as a designer on how to make its vision come true. Uh, I have some really good ideas. Some people have told me, just put it out there, but I'm like, I cannot be satisfied with it yet. I know it'll come eventually, uh, maybe when I'm 40, but uh, we'll see. So uh, right now it's on the back burner because I feel like I need to read more and I feel like I need to play more and I feel like I need to understand what that game is really going to be about now because it was a very different creature in 2012. All right, thank you, Pam. Uh, guys, I think we'll wrap up now. Um, this has been fantastic and a real pleasure. I wanna thank you all for coming. Uh, and joining here today. And um, <clears throat> hopefully we can do this again at a future convention. Thanks. Yeah. Right. Great talk to you. Everybody have a great day and take care. Thank you. Yeah. All too. Take care. Thank you.